Welcome to McKnight's Long-Term Care Newsmakers Podcast, where we share the latest information and views from industry leaders. Hi, I'm Kim Marcellus, Senior Editor of McKnight's Long-Term Care News. Today, we've invited two healthcare attorneys to help us walk through the Redonda Vought case and its implications for skilled nursing operators and their frontline staffs. Earlier this year, Vought, a former nurse at Vanderbilt University Medical Center, was found guilty of criminally negligent homicide in the death of a 75-year-old patient. Vought had given the woman the wrong medication, and she accepted responsibility for the mistake immediately after her patient's death as the hospital worked to understand what had gone wrong. Crowds of healthcare workers applauded outside the courthouse last month when Vought was given a diverted sentence. That means she'll serve no jail time if she completes probation. Still, she has lost the ability to work as a nurse, and many healthcare workers have expressed deep concern that a mistake made without malice would lead to a criminal conviction. At her own sentencing, Vought raised those concerns about how the case might affect nurses and would-be nurses and their willingness to self-report concerns about patient safety. Joining me today to explore this topic are Drew Graham, a partner at Hall Boo Smith, who created his firm's long-term care practice group, and Matthew P. Karras, chair of the Electronic Medical Record and Audit Trail Litigation Practice Group at Marshall Dennehy. Gentlemen, thanks for being here. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Looking forward to this. Terrific. So I'm going to start with you, Matt. I've kind of laid out briefly what this case is about. But can you help our audience understand why nurses were so upset about the charges that were brought here? Sure. You heard in the introduction that I'm the chair of the EMR and Audit Trail uh, Discovery Unit at my firm. And that's actually what drew my attention to this case years ago. There was an EMR component to this, which we'll get into in a little bit, where Vaught went through some of the, the pop-up warnings. And when I initially heard about this story, that's what actually drew me is the electronic medical records component to it. But I've, I've spoken on it several times already and spoke to a lot of nurses about this case and, and heard back from them as well about what has made them upset. And probably the biggest reason why they're upset is the just cause issue. I mean, Vaught was transparent throughout this situation. We, we saw it immediately after the occurrence. She admitted she had made a mistake. She uh, told everybody that it was her fault. She was transparent in her licensing hearing. And the problem with it was is that her being transparent actually was being used against her um, and could, could have led her to go to jail. So that's one of the big reasons that she was doing everything she had been taught and she might be facing criminal ramifications, including jail time for it. Another thing that I hear from nurses is the fact that there was another component to this uh, right after the death. The death certificate, and this was before there was there was some attention to this by law enforcement, but the cause of death listed on the death certificate was natural causes, and that was a physician's issue. Afterwards, during the criminal trial, there were some questions at, on cross-examination of some of the investigators if there was an investigation into the death certificate listing the cause of death as natural causes, and the answer to that was no, but many thought that perhaps some of the other persons involved in this case weren't as uh, were not as forthcoming, including the physicians, and they were they were upset because the physicians were not facing similar scrutiny as Vaught did in this case. There's also some, and without getting into great detail, there was some who thought that uh, the hospital where Vaught was associated with was not defending her uh, quite as strong as as they could have done. And then, lastly, the other major component I hear about this case is questions why the DA took this case. What was their their motivation? Why did they choose to pursue Vaught only as opposed to everybody else? And 
that's one thing that you know, is difficult for some healthcare providers to understand is the prosecutorial discretion in terms of who they want to prosecute. And they just didn't understand, but you know, why they were going after uh, the nurse, but they don't necessarily have to give that that rationale. But those are the biggest things I've heard about this case and why people were angry about this uh, when it was first announced and when people were made aware of this. I'll just add that I think in the um, long-term care context, while the Vought case happened in acute care, in long-term care, there are similar complex issues, particularly around medications. And I think many of the nurses in uh, both registered and LPNs are, are just concerned that ultimately those issues could could happen to them. I think the coverage of the case has helped clarify many of those issues, but I, I certainly understand why they were concerned. So let's talk a little bit about Vought's defense and, again, trying to tie that to the folks that are listening who work in nursing homes and might potentially find themselves in a similar situation. I think that certainly is the fear going forward. So, so what was her defense? And, again, knowing she was convicted, but then given the uh, diversionary uh, sentencing. Yeah. Well, she was always transparent. Uh, again, like I said a few moments ago, she admitted on the day uh, that this occurred uh, that the hospital system knew it was a medication error. She stated it was her fault. And really, there was nothing more to it other than that. It, it was a mistake. She she knew that. And she had identified that. So her defense at the criminal end of it, on the criminal trial, it was made well known at the outset that her criminal defense counsel stated that uh, Vanderbilt, which is where this uh, where this occurred, had played a role and their system, their other physicians had played a role in this death. And essentially, the question during the entire criminal trial is, where's Vanderbilt? Why aren't they here? There was a great line by the criminal defense counsel indicating that this was a big case of musical chairs. And when mm -hmm. the music stopped, Redonda Vaught didn't have the chair. And that was really the theme of, of the rest of, the, of, of, their, of their case. It was, why aren't there more people here other than Redonda Vaught? So she, she made a mistake and she was very clear about that. So let's talk about how that happened, because from our perspective, whenever we report on prosecution or a crime of any kind, we want our listeners to take a lesson from it. So let's go through the medication error, how the automa automated medication cabinet factored into this or the EMR and what insights would be there for other folks who use those systems. Sure. This was a, again, a medication error as, as you addressed. And again, this is an acute care setting, but what occurred is that at the hospital, there was a patient who had some anxiety. She was going to go into a imaging suite and have some testing done. And like most people, they get a little claustrophobic when they're in the, the imaging equipment in the tube. So, and like it happens across the country, probably thousands of times a day, uh, Versed is ordered by the physician to, to help with the patient's anxiety for being in the imaging uh, area. Vaught was a floater through the hospital. She had a good track record. That particular day, she was orienting a new hire, and she was actually orienting this new hire at the time that she was caring for the patient. There was a, a long delay between the order being put in the EMR and when the dispensing unit would actually show that order in there. And like so many people, and this was part of her defense, so many people at Vanderbilt would override the system so they can get the medication sooner. So that's what she did. And there was testimony at the criminal trial that this was a widespread practice at Vanderbilt. Everyone had agreed to it that this was an issue. But when she overrode the system, which some scrutinized whether or not she should have been able to do it so easy, easily, she 
thinking that VE, typing in VE, would get Versed, that that would come out. Unfortunately, VE stood for on this system Vecuronium bromide, which is a paralyzing agent. So Nurse Vaught always thought that she was giving Versed, when in reality, she had Vecuronium bromide, which in some uh, states they use as a paralyzing agent in in the capital punishment cases, they'll give that. Or it's oh, wow. That. So what what occurred was, if you don't know off the top of your head, it was like she stopped breathing. And she never, this was the, in addition to what we just went over so far, these were not good facts. I, I my mo- mother is a nurse, retired. My father's a, a retired nurse anesthetist. I have a special place in my heart for for defending nurses just because of my personal, you know, my family's in the medical profession, but these were really bad facts. And she never recognized that she had, had given the vecuronium bromide despite a lot of uh, factors. And this was the EMR component I was talking about at the beginning. There were four pop-ups that came up on the system, which she didn't pay attention to that indicated that she was administering a paralyzing agent rather than Versed. And she, like so many, we have workarounds and pop-ups that come up on the EMR system. She just went through them without even paying attention to them. In addition to those those four warnings that if she had perhaps paid attention to that would have prevented this uh, medication error, she made some very bad clinical errors. Uh, she didn't look at the top of the cap of the vecuronium bromide, which actually was red. It said paralyzing at the top. She didn't look at that. She didn't look at the bottle. She knew that she had to constitute this medication, which, and she even admitted afterwards when she was being interviewed, she was questioning why she had to constitute Verset because she's never had to constitute Verset before. This is the first time, and it really didn't dawn on her. And again, this is a part of, the, and remember, she's orienting a new hire. So this is all at a time when she's distracted, and this, this is po- possibly a reason why she made the errors that she did. And finally, uh, there was a, the scanner was not in the vicinity of, in the imaging, the a unit where this particular patient was, and she never scanned the medication, which again, if she had scanned it or had the ability to scan it, a warning would have come up, perhaps she right. would have seen it, and she would not have given the vecuronium bromide. So she does all that. There was some criticism of her at the criminal trial, even assuming it was Versed, should she have left the patient because she administered what she thought was Versed and left the patient. Uh, she thought it was appropriate with Versed to leave the patient. There's People can argue both ways in that respect, but she left the uh, the patient alone after she administered the vecuronium bromide, and the patient uh, had a code uh, that they they discovered, and, and she came back in during the code, and that's when she admitted her, her problem. Very early on in this instance, she, she acknowledged and talked about what she did wrong. So those were the facts behind this criminal case. And, you know, they always said, there's a saying in law, bad facts make bad law. These were really bad facts that really created a, a dangerous situation here. So the medication cabinet is an interesting aspect of this case because we know so many providers are adding more technology to help them cope with being short-staffed. But certainly we want to underscore there's a reason those safety factors exist. So what are some more takeaways here for nursing homes in terms of both what they can do to limit medical mistakes and how they can train and encourage staff to speak up about potential problems? Sure. Um, Probably one of the, the most important basic things uh, that can come out of this is distractions, distractions, particularly at the dispenser, because that was the underlying set of circumstances when this medication occurred. Walt was orienting a new hire and was talking about a number of things, not necessarily paying attention to what her immediate task was. So I know that 
some institutions have the dispensers in quiet areas or have signs indicating, you know, don't be distracted, all those good warning signs. That's probably uh, education on that particular uh, item would probably be, be wise. I think another thing is in terms of looking at this case retrospectively, overrides. It was way easy to override the system in this instance, and perhaps the override protocols need to be beefed up, if you will, whether it be a, a, a combination of both, a written policy and actually on the device itself, and other just reinstituting, reinforcing drug verification with others before it's given, particularly with drugs in, like this nature. And in terms of encouraging staff to speak up about potential dangers, that that is one of the things that we've heard about this case, just cause, uh, why would anyone want to be transparent if it could possibly uh, lead to a potential criminal charge? The bottom line is this, is that in, in my, and this is my opinion, that law enforcement does not have the resources to get involved in every every mistake. And this, this case drew attention to itself because it, it was an exception to what had been going on. Typically, these types of cases aren't prosecuted, although there, there are some from time to time they are, when you consider how many patients are being treated every day, and this was a minority situation, the bottom line is that if there is a concern about a criminal element or a criminal investigation into underlying care, the attorney-client privilege does afford staff to speak with an attorney about what occurred and, and have a privilege attached to it if there is a, con- if there is a concern about uh, litigation and particularly criminal involvement. So having an attorney uh, involved and speak with that particular hospital employee is a way to help encourage staff to to speak up if they believe that there is a, a real issue that needs to be reported. And I would add to that in the long term care setting, you know, again, as compared to the acute care setting where this incident happened, um, there were different burdens. One of those is in many, if not all states, there's a mandated reporter statute, there's the Elder Justice Act. So because of the population that we're dealing with and we're in more of a home like setting, we do have. Uh, mandates to report and 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 I think many buildings and operators continue to train you know just uh, on a recurring basis to maintain this culture of compliance with those rules so I know the provider community uh, has been through a lot in the last two years and certainly shown you know just a powerful response to difficult situations but uh, continuing to constantly train on this uh, this culture of compliance, which of course includes reporting suspicions of abuse or neglect, for example, uh, I think in many, at times, not all the time, but at times, certainly errors could be included in that. Um, one thing that we see, I think, increasingly as we bring new um, folks new to aging services and long term care into either AL, memory care, or skilled, is this idea of making sure that the training programs are compelling and engaging for them. Uh, and making sure that the training sticks and to just do it repeatedly. Uh, and I think if and when, or, uh, unfortunately, a situation came up for a provider, uh, documentation of that type of training and that commitment to the compliance culture would, would certainly be helpful uh, in the defense of both the individual and the operator. That all makes sense, certainly. So as we discussed, you know, a, a lot of nurses and other clinicians were upset that Redonda Vaught was kind of left out here to be prosecuted on her own and the hospital really didn't face much recourse outside of a civil suit. So in the nursing home environment, would that play out the same or would you imagine a case would be a little bit different uh, in that setting in terms of liability? Each case is different. And we've seen situations, if you go back as far as uh, in recent memory, Hurricane Katrina, uh, there were operator and operator that was prosecuted for failure to have 
uh, adequate evacuation plan. And I think we all learned a lot from that particular case. We've seen some uh, isolated, but some prosecutions related to the COVID response. So I think we will see a dramatically uh, different type of cl- a type of prosecution. I think it'll continue to be infrequent, but in many cases, it will likely arise from either planning or uh, abuse or neglect more so necessarily than than errors uh, that were uh, the subject of this case. I think we provide complex care in, in senior living uh, and skilled nursing, but the interaction with the types of medications that were involved here and other complexities are just not necessarily present in our setting. Yeah. And I've actually spoken to a number of acute care setting hospitals, and they're not accustomed to the neglect statutes necessarily as as much as you see in the long-term care setting. And, and I've actually told them, I said, our long-term care brethren are facing this much more frequently than you are. And this is something that comes up much more frequently than uh, the acute care setting. So, uh, you know, I, I completely agree with what uh, what Drew said in terms of the long-term care, the focus would be on the neglect, et cetera. Well, I think one thing that will also be interesting to watch outside of the provider perspective is, is just the nurse staffing perspective. Um, obviously, that is a huge problem for long-term care right now. And we heard so much from nurses when this case was in the courtroom about people are not going to want to come into nursing. They, they don't want to do this job if they make a, a mistake that then risk their livelihood and potentially their life if they get jail time. It's uh, It could be very chilling. So I'm curious to see, um, you know, what people say as, as we move away from the actual uh, verdict and sentencing in terms of uh, months and, and days ahead. So any closing thoughts, Drew? No, I, I mean, I would say that to the extent that our frontline uh, aging services nursing staff and others are concerned about it. Additional understanding of the case, I think, really helps clarify the issues. Our long-term care operators have a strong history of, of complying with mandated reporter statutes and self-reporting in, in necessary situations. And I expect that to continue. So I think we'll see essentially what we've seen in the past, but upping that training, making sure everybody understands why we do what we do would, will make a big difference for everybody. Terrific. Well, Drew and Matt, thank you both so much for sharing your insights today. Just want to thank our listeners also for tuning in. And for McKnight's, I'm Kim Marcellus. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to McKnight's Long-Term Care Newsmakers podcast. For the latest in long-term care news, visit McKnight's.com.